If you would take your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. <coughs> and we're going to look here at just the first two verses. There, you're not going to hear anything that you haven't heard from me before this morning. Uh, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I do want to uh, look at things biblically. I think that uh, oftentimes whenever we get into settings where we talk about our responsibility to the Lord uh, in these areas, that things kind of get twisted and manipulated to suit uh, what the modern church is looking for uh, rather than to just look at the Bible principle. I'm more interested in just getting to the Bible principle. I'm a firm believer that if, uh, if I'm walking with God and I'm obedient to God in every area of my life, whatever he tells me to do, I'm surrendered, I'll do it, and everything that his work needs will be, uh, will be taken care of. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so we're going to look this morning on the Astus aspect of stewardship, in particular the giving of tithes and offerings. Uh, as we get into the message this morning, let's have a word of prayer as we begin and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, thank you again for the time that we have. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us this morning. I pray that you would help us to be willing and yielded to you, uh, Lord, in every area of life, and that you would be honored and pleased. We are grateful uh, for your blessings upon your work here in our church. Lord, we're, uh, we're so blessed that you've taken such great care of us and that, uh, Lord, that you, you have been uh, with us every step of the way through pandemic, through, through natural disaster. Uh, Lord, you've not failed to meet every need, and we're grateful. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to our care. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to see, be reminded, or perhaps even learn some truths uh, that would help us to understand uh, truly biblically how we ought to uh, it, take care of your work and, and what you have for us. Now, uh, bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so as we look here this morning, to start back, let a man account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So we want to be good stewards, but what is it that the Bible commands us to be good stewards of? Well, here it clearly states to be good stewards uh, of the mysteries of God. So what are the mysteries of God? Now, I'm going to have to move a little bit quickly through some of this. I want to set the context so that we understand what we're talking about. So we, we don't, we're not, this isn't a deep Bible study that is going to unfold over multiple weeks. So uh, I'm going to move a little quickly. You might want to jot some things down so that you can study it out. If you have questions about it later, I would be more than happy uh, to have that conversation. But we are to be stewards, faithful stewards of his mysteries. So what are the mysteries of God? Well, I believe that the scripture tells us that there are three basic mysteries uh, within the context of the New Testament age. And the mystery number one is the cross. Listen, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is a mysterious thing. How could a man live perfectly, be God, and yet be killed by his creation? How could that man look at creation that he could easily just wipe out and recreate and say, I love you and value you so much that I'm willing to be you and I'm willing to make atonement for you, sacrifice myself from you, uh, and then get up out of the grave and conquer death and hell. Listen, I, I believe with all my soul that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, uh, but I don't believe for a minute that if Miss Patty was laying up here and it was her funeral service that she's just going to hop up out of her casket in mid-service uh, and, and, and that's going to be the end of it unless the Lord comes back. Okay, uh, and so that, that's mysterious. 
It's mysterious that God would love so much. It's mysterious that Jesus conquered death and hell and that he resurrected from the grave. Uh, mystery number two is the mystery of the church. Uh, the blended church. When you talk about, and Paul talks a lot about the mystery of the church, what's he talking about? He's, it, 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 listen, it really, they came together as a Jewish people in the synagogues. And in essence, what they were doing as an assembly uh, was coming and being a church. They were studying the, the scripture that they had. They were expounding on the scripture that they had. They were praying to God. They were going through uh, things that, that, uh, that they were learning. So uh, it's not the New Testament church, but it, it acted as and it functioned as in many ways and in many respects like a church body uh, would function relevant to its time. And so the concept of these believers in Christ coming together, those that, that, that knew the Lord coming together was not completely foreign to them, nor were they adverse to it. What they were adverse to was the Gentiles and the Jews coming together as one. And the great battle that Paul constantly was fighting, uh, even with other apostles, the great war that raged within Peter's heart that God came to him in a vision and told him, listen, I've set this, uh, this is, uh, set this aside. What Paul then later had to confront Peter in front of others about was the fact that you cannot impose uh, Judaistic religion upon the Gentile believer. And the Gentile believer is no different than the Jew. They're no less than the Jew. They're no less a believer. They're no less important to God. We're all one. We're all one united body. And so when the church was established and when Christ uh, rose from the grave and gave his instruction, ascended to heaven, and the apostles went out across the, uh, the known world there preaching the gospel, they weren't going to cities and trying to say, uh, you know what, <coughs> those of you that are from this culture have church over here, and those of you that are from this culture have church over here, and those of you that believe this have church over here. No, but they came together as one body. That's the mystery of the church, how, how they could come together as one and fulfill the work and the will of God. And so then the third mystery is his, his second coming. That's a mysterious thing. And I believe that it's going to happen. If you look at what's going around us in the world, you can see that at the very least, he's making preparations for it to happen. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they're, they're, you can pick things apart and read a lot of things in and we'll get some things right and some things wrong as far as uh, when, when, you know, how the order of, uh, not the things that are set in the scripture, of course, but, you know, what Russia, how Russia plays into it, how Iran plays into it, and how all these other countries play into it. Uh, but the, the bottom line with all that is, is that I know the Lord Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. When that unfolds, I'm not going to be here. And so, uh, you know, if you know Jesus is your Savior, you're going to be gone. Uh, and so, and, and so the, that's a wonderful thing. But the idea that there's going to be this trumpet sound and Jesus is going to step out on the cloud in the eastern sky and he's just going to say, hey, come up hither and we're all of a sudden going to uh, be adverse to the laws of gravity and we're going to take flight, that's mysterious. Uh, okay, so what is it that we're to be, be good stewards of? The mystery. And so when he says here, let me sow account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now I'm going to focus this morning uh, as it's the, just the, the, basically the week of the year that we do it every year 
on how that applies to us financially, but by no means does the, the principles of stewardship, are they limited to finances? A lot of times we think that. We think we hear stewardship campaign. Uh, listen, a true stewardship conference or campaign cannot ignore every other area of life and just focus on what we give. Uh, it has to entail how we live and where our heart is and what uh, our motivations are. And so we are to be good stewards of his mysteries, but also of our lives. So when we talk about life, when we talk about the gift of life that God has entrusted to us, we're talking about our time, our talent, and our treasure. Time is life. There are a lot of things that I can spend and I can go back and I can make some more. Uh, I can get it back. There are things that I can use up and I can replenish. Time is not one of those things. Time is life. Life is time. What I say, I can't take back. What I do, I can't undo. Where I go, I can't ungo. Uh, whatever I do from day to day, whatever I say, however I, however I use my time impacts how God uses my life here on the earth. So when we talk about time, there's basically the concept of how did I spend my life? You hear that term? Someone comes and they get reflective in their older age and they look back and what, how did I spend my life? Uh, what a tragic statement. So why so, Pastor? Because life is not to be spent. Life is to be stewarded for the glory of God. Amen. And so if I spend my life, in essence, I'm wasting my life on that which pleases me. Or I'm, I'm spending it according to my own will to do things that are considered godly or spiritual uh, that cause me to feel as if somehow uh, I, the doing of this act is going to cause me to become acceptable to God or to other believers. Uh, listen, we need to get over and pass the idea uh, that we need to conform to some cookie cutter image in order to please God. Uh, the heart must change in order for God to be pleased. The whole of the church can conform to an image that's set forth by the church and church leaders and be as lost as the drunkard in the street and to be as, uh, to be as far away from God as the most backslidden of believer. Because it's not really, uh, listen, I, I'm a firm believer that when God has my heart that he's going to work on some things on the outside too, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God's not going to change me on the outside, but far too many people that are sitting in our churches have been changed from the outside in instead of the inside out. And by the way, Satan always works from the outside in and God always works from the inside out. And so I'm not interested in, in, in molding people into an image. I'm interested in leading people to put their faith and trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God uh, opens their eyes to the truths of God's Word and He convicts their heart about their sin, then their response is going to be to please God and not to please man. And by the way, those are decisions and life changes that last. Amen. And so when we come and we understand that we are to be good stewards of our life, our talent. How many of us this morning have talents that we're wasting because we're not willing to utilize them for God's glory? We're too embarrassed or we're too shy or we're too out of practice or we're too uh, out of this or we're too uncomfortable. 
or we've done our time, or we've paid our dues, or we've listened. I realize not everybody can do everything that they've always done at certain stages of life or uh, at certain ranges of health, but the bottom line is, is that all of us have been given gifts and talents from God, and if we're not using them for His glory, we are, we are squandering and wasting that which God has given us to glorify and honor Him, and for Him to use to bring others to Christ and to challenge them uh, to grow and to walk in the Spirit. And so our talent and then our treasure. You cannot, seg we like to compartmentalize our lives. We like to have this is my church life. This is my spiritual life at home. This is my recreational life. This is my work life. Listen, it doesn't work that way. Right. We can convince ourselves that it does, but it doesn't. We have to understand that my life is my life and it's whole in its entirety. And every aspect of it belongs to God. And if I don't understand that, then I'm never going to live a life that pleases God. It doesn't mean that I won't do some things along the way that please God. But my goal is to not do the random act that pleases God. My goal is to live a life that pleases and honors and glorifies Him. Uh, and so to be good stewards of our lives. Then the third thing that we're to be good stewards of is His work. We are to be good stewards of the work that God has entrusted to us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 says that we have been put in trust with the gospel. It's been entrusted to our care. The work of God. God's people provide for God's work. Listen, God's not interested in the world providing for his work. He wants it to be provided. He does not interested in blood money. He wants it to come from the heart of his people. He wants it to be a reflection of, uh, of what he's done for us. And so then the, the principle of the tithe comes to the forefront. And tithe simply meaning the tenth part. Uh, and so we're going to look at a lot of different references. If as much as time allows, we're going to look at several passages this morning. Uh, and so we, we want to understand uh, where this comes from. There is a line of thinking that says uh, that the, the, you know, the, the tithe was commanded in the law <coughs> and that uh, the New Testament never reaffirms that command or uh, specifically makes it. Uh, and so the principle of giving in the New Testament truly is a grace model. Uh, and it is true that it's not reaffirmed as the commands of the law and other commands of the law. But it also is true that it predates the law. And so this is not something that came that was given in the law. This is something that was given as an example early in the book of Genesis. Uh, and so God has shown his intent. God has shown his guidance. God shows what his expectations are. Uh, and this is, this is not, in my opinion, a matter of the law. Because it predates the law. Uh, and so we'll look at some principles along that line. So it's the tenth part. And offerings are a present or a gift. Until I give God the tenth part, I, have, I cannot give an offering. Because I, I haven't given him what's his. Now truly it's all his. And that's really when this war within our hearts ends, when we come to the realization that it's all his anyway. Uh, and when it's his and I'm just a steward, then I understand that I'm going to do what God tells me to do with that which belongs to him because I'm just the steward. It's not mine. The idea that this is mine and this is God's is something that needs to be eradicated in our hearts and minds. It's all God's. My wife is God's. My children are God's. My grandchildren are God's. My home is God's. My vehicles are God's. Uh, my lawnmower is God's. Everything that I have belongs to him. And if I really truly believe that, then whenever the spirit of God touches my heart and says, do more than the general rule that I've given you, then it's really not that difficult or that big of a deal because I don't view it as being mine anyway. Yeah. And if I trust him, 
and trust my know my position uh, as his steward, uh, then it makes it easier to be obedient to what God's given me to do. But God's made it plain that he uses his people to provide for his work as he blesses them. Uh, and so let's look at some biblical examples of tithing. It's going to take a moment here to get to get through our introduction this morning. Uh, and so the biblical example in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18, you see uh, the first instance, Abraham comes to Melchizedek in uh, verse 18 of chapter 14 after he's rescued Lot. Uh, and he's restored. Uh, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. And Abraham gave him a tenth of all they had. And so it, it, it begins there. We see in Hebrews chapter number 7, this concept of regarding Melchizedek in particular, <coughs> in the first ten verses where it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So the king of Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He's without father, without mother. He's without end of life, without beginning. Uh, and say, Pastor, how did all that work? Well, we'll find that out when we get to heaven. God will reveal that. We'll know. Uh, but for now, what we know is this is a picture of Christ and what Abraham's response is to worship with, uh, with a tithe. Uh, now consider how great this man was, in verse 4, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils, and verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take the tithes of the people according to the law, that is of their brethren, and though they come out of the loins of Abraham, but he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that he had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Uh, and so there is the principle established, the principle of giving uh, the tenth. And so he gives us an example. This is an example of the tithe. Now he also shares with us, and we see uh, within the, the wandering in the wilderness, an example of an offering and the difference thereof in Hebrew or in Exodus chapter uh, 25. And so, and by the way, uh, in Genesis 28, 22, uh, he also continues in this stone, which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house and all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Uh, and so that's reciprocal. God, the, the, he says, if you give me, then I'm going to give an honor uh, and a tenth back to you. <clears throat> now, in Exodus chapter 25, they're building the tabernacle. Uh, and as they're building the tabernacle, they come to uh, a time when uh, they experience something that I don't know of any modern day church has ever experienced. Uh, when he says, and the Lord spake to Moses, saying, speaking to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them gold and silver and brass. 
blue and purple and scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red and badger skins, shittim wood, uh, oil for light, spices for anointing oil and sweet incense. Uh, so what they have. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee uh, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof shows how ye make it. And it comes to the point uh, when Moses has to go back to them and say, you brought enough, stop giving. Uh, and so uh, they, their heart was that they wanted to give. They wanted to show their compassion and their gratefulness and their love uh, to the Lord. And so we see that example of an offering. So what's the difference? Well, the tithe is just simply taking a tenth of that which God has given to me and, is, and giving it to him. Uh, and then the offering is in excess of that. So when we give our tithe and then we give a faith promise offering to missions, uh, that's offering. That's over and above. We don't take from one to give to the other. Uh, and so it, 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 this, given the way that God has given example of uh, throughout the scripture. Uh, now, and as we look at this, and you can also jot down here uh, Leviticus chapter number 27 in verse 30 and ver verse 32. It tells us uh, that the tithe belongs to God. And not only uh, does it belong to him, but it's holy to him. And I want to take and just look at uh, at least one of these verses here in Leviticus chapter uh, 27. Because he makes an important statement here uh, when he says that, uh, that it's God's. Not only is it God's, but it's holy unto the Lord. And in Leviticus chapter number 27, uh, in verse number 30, uh, he makes that statement when he says, uh, and, the, all, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. He says it again uh, in verse number 32. Uh, and so it's holy to God. May I say this morning that what was holy to God then is holy to God now? We, we believe that when it comes to his word or other principles of the scripture. Whenever we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he doesn't change, he's always the same. Listen, if it was holy to God at any point prior, it is holy to God for all of eternity. Because he doesn't change. This is something that's holy to the Lord. Uh, it is something that is his. It, is the, it was commanded by God in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verses 22 and 23. Uh, and so if you want to jot those verses down. And then the tithe provides for God's work. So he gives us his intent. What is it and why does God command us to do this? Why does God set the example? What is it to be used for? How is it to be, uh, to be uh, taken into consideration? And so uh, we see that uh, in Numbers chapter number 18 and verses 21 through 28, uh, he tells us uh, how he wants it uh, to, be, to be used. In Exodus chapter number 18, uh, and so when we see beginning in verse number 21, And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may bear their iniquity. And so God 
has established in Israel at that time one tribe to care for the spiritual needs of the people. And then as they gave their tithe, it was to, uh, it was to provide for the upkeep of the tabernacle and to provide for the provision and the needs of the, uh, of the Levites. They couldn't go out and farm. They couldn't go out and, uh, and raise crops and flocks and do all of those things because they were busy tending to the people's needs and, and, and doing the work of, uh, of ministry. And so God's way of providing <coughs> was that. There are some uh, that believe that it's wrong for a church to have uh, a staff, a pastoral staff in which the church pays a pastoral staff. Uh, that's a big thing in some communities where, uh, and, and some, in some groups to where they just think that, uh, you know, the, the pastor ought to just uh, come in. Listen, if I had to work 60 hours a week to, uh, to meet all my obligations, I wouldn't have time left hardly to prepare messages, let alone do anything else that needs to be done. Uh, and so that's not the principle, then the example that God gave in the scripture. Uh, he gave a, a, a called out, anointed people uh, that were to do this work and the, this provision was made for them. There were certain offerings that they kept a part of. There was a certain techniques uh, that they had to use to harvest the, the meat or different types of offering. And we're not going to get into all that this morning. Uh, but the reality is this, the tithe belongs to the Lord. That God says that it's holy to me. That there was a time in the law where it was commanded. But just because that wasn't reaffirmed in the New Testament doesn't mean that that's not what God's intent is. It's the example that he set well before the law was established. And it's the pattern that we've seen followed throughout uh, the scripture. The tithe is commanded and then the tithe is to provide for the work of God. Uh, so you can also jot down there Nehemiah chapter 10 verses 37 and 38, an example of where they're rebuilding and God brought to them together and they gave. Uh, and Hebrews chapter 7 and verses 5 through 8, uh, then you can see uh, things there as well. And there it says, and verily they that are the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is their brethren. And so uh, <clears throat> we come and we look and we understand that the tithe is the Lord's. Now I'm going to get into the message this morning. And I'm just throwing three, really three principles about giving. We've established what it is, what it's to be used for, to, to fund the work of God. Now, how, let's kind of look at it in some different contexts here. Uh, and we look at the tithe and we understand that it's God's property. Again, in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it is the Lord's and it's holy to him. So we'll look at three thoughts concerning this idea that it's God's property, which I believe are fundamental and foundational to uh, our attitude and our spirit in giving. And so, you know, there are a lot of people that give, but they give begrudgingly because that's what they were taught to do and they just feel bad if they don't. Uh, and this concept this morning is liberating. If I understand that God loves me and that it's an attitude of heart and life, then God uh, will set me free from uh, the bondage of giving in such a way. So the tithe is God's property. Three thoughts about that. Number one, God has entrusted us with his property. You stop and you think about that for a moment. What an awesome responsibility. And what a tremendous vote of empowerment and confidence. You look and you stop and you look at some examples of what real stewardship is in action. There's no greater example than Joseph. Where Joseph as a slave is brought into Potiphar's house and God puts him in favor in such a great way that he's essentially made the ruler of the house answering only to Potiphar. And he, God blesses everything that he does. 
Then after he is wrongly accused and imprisoned, he rises within the jail. Then he ultimately becomes, as we know, uh, the, the, the ruler of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And God was using that and working that. What was he? He was just a steward. It, di it didn't belong to him. All the things that he took care of when he lived and worked in Potiphar's house belonged to Potiphar. Everything that he had charge of and the decisions that he made and that he governed in the jail belonged to Pharaoh. Everything that he did with, uh, with uh, the, the nation of, Israel, of Egypt rather uh, during the famine and after, uh, that was all entrusted to him. It didn't belong to him. And the idea and the concept that what I have belongs to me uh, is going to uh, hinder my ability uh, to do and to be what God wants me to be. Listen, he has entrusted us with his property. And when I say he's entrusted us with our property, he says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Time, life, what God has entrusted to my care. And uh, Colossians 4 and verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Uh, and so we want to be mindful uh, that we are to be redeeming uh, that time. And uh, uh, <clears throat> as we look at uh, God has entrusted us with his property, that includes our lives and it includes his gospel. And for sake of time, I'll hasten this morning, but my life belongs to him. Well, that's good, pastor. You've been called to preach. You've been ordained to minister. You're the pastor. You belong to God. And that was true before I was ordained and before I was called and when I trusted Christ as my Savior. We all belong to God. We're His. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Amen. Our lives are His. And we've been entrusted with the gospel as we talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. The second thing I would say about this is that it, it reflects my willingness to give God his tithe is a reflection of my willingness to give him every other area of my life. Why don't I want to give him that? Because I want to hold it back for what I want to do in other areas of my life. If I'm not willing to give him every other area of my life, then it really matters because I need that to do what I want to do. But when I'm humbly and completely surrendered to him and it's all his, then I'm asking the question before I do things. We covered this a little bit in our class of the walk yesterday, but the idea is this, that for every believer that's surrendered to Christ and that wants to please God, I don't believe that it's the will of God for all believers to live in abject poverty. I believe God blesses his people. I don't believe that it's wrong for us to enjoy the creation that God's put us in. I believe that's his will. I do believe that there are times when God will choose that are times of suffering for us that will grow us and will help us or will further the gospel. Uh, I'm, I'm not denying that. I'm saying this morning, uh, I don't believe in a prosperity gospel. Hey, if you do this, God's going to make you a millionaire. That, that's not biblical. But neither is it biblical that I should subject myself to abject poverty just because so that I feel coerced and pressured all the time to give every last thing that I've got to the next project at the church. And to use that to manipulate and to guilt people into doing things that they can't afford or don't want to do. What I'm saying is this, when I realize that it's God's and I realize I'm God's, then when a need presents itself, my response is, Father, what would you have me do? And if God tells me to do something and I do it, I do it happily and cheerfully because I'm just, I'm just stewarding what's his. I would say this this morning, with the risk of, I'm trying not to get too far off on a rabbit trail here. 
If you try to respond to every need that's presented from the pulpit, if we lived that way, we'd all be broke inside a month. Why? Because we're not a large church, but we're large enough that there are a lot of people that have needs. There are a lot of missionaries that we're in contact with that have needs. And there are a lot of things that God uh, wants us to be involved in. But let's just say that we have uh, a, a need that arises and uh, an emergency situation that comes up and, uh, and that emergency gets presented and it's, uh, you know, we've got a, this person is in need of this and we want to do what we can to help them as a church. The response from every believer should be, Father, what would you have me to do? And then obey what God tells you to do. That's why I don't say much beyond that whenever I present something that's a need because I don't want to be responsible for guilting or coercing people to not follow the Lord. I want you to just follow the Lord. I believe this firmly. That if this need is presented and it touches Brother Mike's heart and it touches Brother Joey's heart and it touches Brother Buck's heart, but it doesn't affect uh, and they feel the, the spirit of God telling them to contribute, but Brother Lynn doesn't uh, and Brother Chad doesn't, and Brother Billy doesn't, and so they don't, does that mean that they don't care about that person or that need? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that they're just following the Lord's leadership. Why is that possible? Because God knows that uh, that's, the only, I, that's the only need I know to present, and then God also knows that on the next week, on Saturday night at 12 o'clock, I'm going to get a phone call that says that, that this next emergency came up that we need to help somebody with. So I present that. Well, it doesn't affect those men, but it touches the heart of somebody else. The bottom line is God gives us all different gifts and talents and abilities, different things that interest us, different things that stir us, different things that move us. And God put us all together with those different and that diversity for the purpose and for a reason of ministering to those that have multiple needs. We can't all respond to every need that comes up. Listen, in my heart, I want to do, I want to meet every need that I get presented with. Every phone call that comes in to, from, from people that I don't even know who they are uh, that says, we've got little kids and no groceries. I want to help them. And so, but we can't. So how do you know who to help and who not? You have to pray and follow the Lord's leading. Listen, it has to do with God has entrusted us with his property. It's his, it's not mine. And when I understand that and I embrace that, then I can understand that, hey, uh, I, I, I only need to do what God lays on my heart to do. I want to follow the guidelines that God set out for his expectations. And beyond that, I want to respond when the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart. So God has entrusted me with his property. Secondly, my willingness to give is a reflection of my willingness to give every other part of my life to him. If I realize nothing is mine and it's all his, then it's not a problem whenever I say, oh, Lord, okay, yeah, it was yours anyway here. Thirdly, I would say that it's essential to a blessed or cursed life. Tithing, being obedient to God, doing what God says to do is essential to having a life that is under the blessings of God or under the curse of God. And so we want to be faithful and obedient in that regard. Yeah, years ago, one of the Rockefellers, John D. Rockefeller, gave this testimony. He says he was talking to someone and they questioned him about his practice of tithing. And he said, yes, I tithe. And I'd like to tell you how it came about. Uh, when I was just a boy and I went to work, I began to work at a small, uh, to help support my mother. And uh, the first wages, my first wages amounted to $1.50 a week. 
Mother pulled me aside. I've got that, made that first dollar fifty, and I brought it in, and I laid it out in her lap, and I said, "Here, mom, uh, here's this money that I made to help." Uh, and she uh, sat me down and explained that she'd be happy if I would give a tenth of that to the Lord. So I took my uh, fifteen cents and went down and uh, put it in the plate, and he said, "And I did from that week until this day." And he said, "If I hadn't tithed on the first dollar, I wouldn't have tithed on the first million." I just did what we were taught to do. William Colgate of Colgate fame has a similar testimony. And so it's hard to imagine today's world that some of these well-known things had great following and great people within their family that followed the Lord and uh, they reached their uh, what they are for by, by just being faithful. And he was 16 years old and he left home to seek his fortune and he went out and he had all his possessions in a bundle. Kind of looked like a hobo walking down the road. And as he walked down the road with his bundle, he, he uh, told the, uh, his, you know, his, he ran into an old canal boat captain and told his father he was going to go and uh, he was too poor to stay there. And so he had to go out there and, and just find a trade. And the only thing that he knew to do was make soap. And so uh, his father, the old man, kneeled and prayed earnestly for the boy and said, listen, he said this. Someone will soon be the leading soap maker in New York. And it can be you as well as someone else. Be a good man. Give your heart to Christ. He said, pay the Lord all that belongs to him. Make an honest soap. Give a full pound. And I'm certain that you'll be a prosperous and a rich man. I have Colgate toothpaste in my drawer at home right now. And so it's amazing what God does whenever we just do what he tells us to do. The tithe is God's property. So is it such a big deal? Why is it so hard for us to come to the realization? Because we think it's ours. It's God's. Why is it so hard for me to give my life to God? Because I think it's mine. When I realize that it's not mine, it's his, it's easy to give it. It's easy to follow his, his leadership. Secondly, this morning, we see that the tithe is God's provision. It is God's provision. In Malachi chapter 3, in verse number 10, he said, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And so what is he doing here? Saying this is my, my provision, the storehouse. Listen, I don't have any business going into your storehouse. You got a shed out back of your house. You got a shop outside your house that's yours. It's not... It's not mine. If you've got a place uh, that, that you store your, your goods, a place where you store your crops, or somebody has a place they'd store other necessities, that's not my place to go into. Nor am I going to go out and work and just, uh, because you've got no need, go in and deposit my stores into your storehouse. I'm going to deposit them into my storehouse. I believe in what is the old timers would call storehouse tithing. There used to be a big dispute and good men would disagree. As long as you're given to God's work, it's God's work. But I'm a firm believer, that most pastors are, uh, that you give to the storehouse. That's, you, you, listen, if I go out to eat this afternoon to Cracker Barrel, I'm not going to eat my meal at Cracker Barrel and then drive around the corner to Olive Garden and pay the bill. I, I'm going to pay the bill where I'm, where, I'm, where I'm being given what I'm partaking of. So, I, listen, I, I'm, I'm not going to uh, worship God uh, at the church that I'm a member of and then turn around and give my tithe 
to another church because of, just because that church has, according to my perception, a greater need. I'm going to give it to the storehouse. This is where I get fed. This is where I serve. This is where God led me. This is where I'm engaged. It's just that, that principle. It's not wrong to give an offering beyond that to another work. Uh, and so, uh, but I'm going to give God to the storehouse that he's placed me in, that which is his. And so God tells us what his provision is. And so, what is it to provide for? Well, it's threefold. Number one, it's to provide for God's house. We saw that in Exodus 25 and 1 through 9. We read that a moment ago. That it was for the provision of the tabernacle. It was for, you see it when they raised up the temple. You see it when they rebuilt things that have been destroyed. It is, to, it, it is for the house of God. House of God in this context being the structure with which, within which we worship. This is God's property. Victory Baptist Church is not my church. Victory Baptist Church is God's church. Victory Baptist Church isn't your church. I, oh man, you, whenever, uh, whenever we painted the foyer, something other than white, there, people wanted to come unglued. And when we painted the auditorium, it was like the sky was falling. It was just, you know, kind of silly things that people get been out of shape about. Uh, and so why did people feel that way? Because they perceive it to be theirs. Yep. Now listen, as a pastor, I want you to take ownership in the church that God's placed you in. I want to take ownership as a pastor of the church of God, but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that it's not really mine. And I don't think that it's wrong for you to say or for me to say, yeah, I, I, I belong to Victory Baptist Church or that's my church. As long as we understand the truth of the matter is that it belongs to God. It's not about what my will is and not about what your will is. I don't want to ever come to the pulpit and preach what I want to preach or come to the pulpit and say, hey, this is what the church needs to do because that's my agenda or my goal. I want to go to God and find out what God's will is and find out what God, say, Pastor, what's your vision for the church? It doesn't matter what my vision for the church is. It matters what is the vision that God has given for his church. And so we want to communicate uh, and lead and to live that way. And the tithe is for provision for the house of God. It is to provide for the operation and for uh, the needs of ministry within this body uh, so that it can function and can do what it needs to be done. Listen, uh, toner has to be bought for the copiers. Paper has to be bought for the, uh, the bulletins. Tracks have to be printed for outreach. The uh, electricity bill has to be paid so that we have uh, air conditioning. That may not be too big of a deal this week, but uh, give it about four or five, six more weeks and we'll all be glad we got it. Uh, sometimes there needs to be, you know, a couple of a couple of hours a year. We need to actually run the heat, uh, and so, you know, all of those things have to be provided for. The vans ran out, picked people up, and brought them to church today. Somebody's got to buy the gas, and uh, we budget for those things based upon tithe and offering. Salaries have to be paid. Insurances have to be uh, paid. That's what God gave the tithe and the offering. Imagine if we had to come in every week and say, okay, here's all the bills of the church this week, and, uh, and this week we've got to come up with this much money, but you didn't get paid this week. God gave us a, a way to give and a, and a method uh, that allows for responsible, responsible stewardship to provide for the upkeep and the ministry and the working of God. The second thing we see is that it was used to the, for the provision of God's men. We see that in Numbers 18, verses 21 through 28. We don't have time to turn there this morning, uh, but the, the to care of the Levites. When I say men of God, I'm not saying that uh, men of God in the sense that, you know, I'm the pastor, I'm a man of God, and I walk on water. I'm just a man just like you are. There's not anything special about me. 
I just happened to be the one that, that for some reason, inexplicably, God tapped on the shoulder and said, this is what I want you to do. And so, uh, you know, I, I have the same struggles that you do. I have the same uh, problems that you have. I have the same uh, heartache that you have. I have the same everything. We've all got, we're all the same. But the fact of the matter is, is that God did select one tribe out of the 12 to take care of the spiritual needs of the people. And he did not expect them to do that and then go out uh, whenever they were exhausted from doing that and, and try to raise money to provide for their family another way. Those that live of the gospel should be to cared for of the gospel. And there's a, I'm not going to get too deep into that. Our church takes very good care of us. We're very grateful that God uh, has brought us here and provides for our needs. I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not b b complaining in, in the least. I'm just saying, understanding the principle here of what it's for, it is for the provision of God's house and the provision of, of those that God sets to lead and to care for and the needs uh, of God's people. And then thirdly, it's for the work of God that the work of God might uh, be accomplished. And so when we come and we understand that uh, and we're working at that, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 16 says, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Uh, and Romans uh, 12, 13, he says, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, given some, uh, some uh, direction there. Uh, now, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, uh, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the church of Galatia, even so uh, do ye. Uh, and then in Malachi, uh, the passage that we read, listen, this is God really saying, put me to the test. But he's really putting us to the test. If you do what I tell you to do, just do it and see if I won't bless you for it. And by the way, that principle holds true in every area of life, not just in giving. Be obedient and God will bless you. And if I want God's blessing, then I must live in obedience to his word and to his will. And so what is the purpose of the tithe? It is to provide for God's building, the structure. It is to provide for God's leaders and it's to provide for God's work, the work of the church going forth and taking care of. And then thirdly, we see that it is a partnership with God. The tithe is God's partnership. And this is really transformational in our thinking if we let it be. Because now I come to the point where God and Jesus is looking at me and saying, I'm not calling you servants, I'm calling you friends. I'm not looking at you, uh, I'm not looking down at you, I'm not coming in as the owner and the boss and saying, hey servant, come and serve me. He's saying, hey partner, come and work with me. And in John 15, he gives that principle as we abide with him and he abides with us and he says, I'm not calling you, I'm no longer I'm calling you servant, I'm calling you friend. The master doesn't tell the servant what he's going to do, but I've showed you everything that I'm going to do. You're part of the process. The tithe is God's partnership. And, and, and th three thoughts about that as we wrap this up this morning. Why is that important? Number one, it brings God's blessing. Being in partnership to where I understand that God is giving me ownership in this. You realize this morning that we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ? That we, we are with him, that his blessing is, God wants to bless us. God wants to work in our heart. It brings God's blessing. The second thing that it brings is God's protection. God said, give and I'll give. 
Again, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. And there may be some times whenever you're thinking, okay, God, I'm needing them. When are you going to start giving? <laughs> when are you going to come through on your promise? Listen, Abraham made it all the way to heaven without ever receiving his promises. But, but God honored him. And, and so it's a matter of trust. And so it brings God's protection. Thirdly, I would say that it is an investment in eternity. When I began to look at what I give to the work of God, not as, man, I can't afford to do this and I've got these bills to pay and I've got this to do and I've got that to do, but I look at it as an investment. Isn't it amazing how uh, if we had, I've never had one, so I can't speak too personally about this, but if I had a big investment account somewhere uh, and I was putting so much money a month into like a big investment account and watching that grow over 20 or 30 years uh, that, I, you know, at this point in my life, I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't even miss that however much money it was going in because that's just where it went. I wouldn't complain about that. That's to provide for my future. The, the gift to the work of God is an investment. It's an investment in God's work. It's an investment in God's people. It's an investment in things eternal. It's not good. The things that I invest in the work of God aren't going to burn up whenever the world melts. Amen. If somebody don't do something about Mr. Putin soon, it might melt sooner than later in some parts of the world. I'm just saying this morning that it is a matter of investing in eternity. Obedience to principles is better than obedience to command. Why so? Because to live in the spirit of the law is joy. But to obey the letter of the law is bondage. God wants us to do the right thing. But he wants us to do the right thing with the right attitude and spirit for the right reason. Hey, listen, I want us to be a godly, holy people. I want us to be a people set apart. I want us to be a people that people look at and say, hey, they're, they're different. And not saying that they're different, that they're a bunch of weirdos. But they're just, you can tell when you look at them, there's something different about their countenance, about their spirit, about their joy. They have a love for God. God is, is in their midst and God is working. I would hope that whenever somebody pulls onto the, and I pray this often, that whenever people, uh, the, the moment that they turn off of Archer Road into this parking lot, that they can feel the presence of the Lord beginning to stir and speak to them their heart. And the deeper they walk into the building, the more the sense of presence of the Lord here. Do I think that always happens? Well, it kind of depends on who they interact with <laughs> they can make their way in the auditorium. <laughs> but they ought to. They ought to feel God's love and God's presence. The problem is if they're interacting with people that are just doing what they do because they have to and because they're under the yoke of bondage, then there's no joy. But if people are doing what they do because they love the Lord and they want to show that love and they want to be engaged in Him and they're serving, not from, the, not from the letter of the law, but the spirit of it, then God's blessing and His power is evident and the love of Christ is evident. And then as we conclude this morning, I'd say this, just give cheerfully. Who goeth a warfare at any time of his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Or he feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock. Work and give and let God work in hearts. Give joyfully. Be a cheerful giver, the Bible tells us. We give willingly for that which we love. My uh, daughter, my youngest daughter's in her last semester of college. Praise the Lord. We have half a semester and a wedding to go, and we will be out of bondage. Uh, and so uh, we don't, we're right around the corner. 
And she worked hard all summer and she put a lot of money away and she earned a couple of scholarships. And so for the first time in the 10 years that we've had at least one child in college, last semester we didn't have to pay one penny in tuition. Amen. Well, hold that amen. <laughs> because this year we've paid every penny of tuition. <laughs> or this semester. And whenever the phone call comes, it doesn't generally come like this. It doesn't say, hey, Dad, my college bill is due in two weeks, and I'm going to be short, uh, and this is how much I'm going to need. It, my bill was, this is more like this. My bill was due 30 minutes ago, and I can't go to class tomorrow, and it's $1,500. Uh, and that's generally the way that it goes. And so I, I can't always say that that is a cheerful moment. But that moment passes quickly because I love who I'm giving it to. I really don't begrudge it. Can't say that I won't be glad to get past it. But that's just part of life. If that's what it needed to be for the rest of my life, then we'll do what we have to because we love. Listen, what I'm saying this morning is just simply this. That if we love the Lord and we love the church that God's planted us in and we love the work of God and we love seeing people come to Christ and we love investing in those and discipling them and, uh, and helping them, it may not be that at every moment that the, the task that has to be done is the most enjoyable thing that I've ever done, but the end result of being there for God's people and meeting the needs gives us joy and gives us God's blessing and it shows God's power. We come and we understand that we give willingly for that which we love. I can't believe that pastor's talking about tithing again. You hear that? I hear that all the time. I, I don't hear that about us all the time, gratefully. And if I ever had somebody that really got belligerent about it and just said, that's all you ever preach about, I would make them go back and listen to sermons for the last year and prove it. <laughs> because we, go to, we really just try to preach it when God tells us to and let, it, let God handle the rest of it. I'm just saying this morning that when I love, it wouldn't matter. If I really loved the work that God had placed me in, it wouldn't matter if I heard about some new need every service. Because I love the work of God. Because I love the God of the work. Because I'm grateful for an opportunity whenever God speaks to my heart to express that love. And so what do I love? We count not our sacrifice a sacrifice if we love. Sometimes those phone calls for tuition, it's a little bit of a sacrifice. But we don't want to think about it too much of a sacrifice. We all understand this. I think most of us in here have lived long enough that we understand that sometimes sacrifices are necessary for the things in which we love. And they're never really a sacrifice when we love. The question is, who or what? do we sacrifice for? Pastor, I love the Lord. Really? Are you willing to sacrifice for him? No, I, I've got to go on vacation next year. So what you're really telling me is that you love the idea of loving the Lord, but you really love your vacation more than you love the Lord. I'm not saying don't go on vacation. I need vacations too. I'm just saying this morning, that when God speaks to my heart and God tells me specifically to do something, if my reaction is, well, I can't do that because then I can't do what I want to do. 
what I'm really expressing is that I love that thing that I want to do more than I love God. And if I come to the place where I just say, okay, Lord, you know, I appreciate, and I'm not going to say who it was, but there was some, there's somebody and they're in the room this morning. And I don't know how long ago this was. It, it was probably, uh, it had to be six, seven, eight years ago. And um, they've been saving some money to, to, to do something or to buy a gift for someone. And there was a missionary that had come through that had a need. And they came to my office the next day and they told me, I was just about to go this week and buy this thing that I had been saving for for X number of however long it was. But God spoke to my heart and said that I can take care of that later, that that missionary had a need. And they put an envelope in my hand for exactly the amount that was needed. And they didn't think twice about it. And by the way, it's not the last time that that individual has done something like that. That person's done something like that again this year. What does that say? There are things that I want, things that I would like, things that I want to save for, things that I want to acquire, that I want to pursue. That's wonderful. God's given you a means and God's blessed you. There's no, nothing wrong, not a thing in the world wrong with that. Enjoy. But what if you're right there at the cusp of getting it and God comes and says, hold that thought. I want you to do this instead. Can I do that with joy? Or will I do it reluctantly, bitterly? Will I not do it at all? All I'm saying this morning is this. When God has my heart, and when God has all of me, he has all of me. He has my home. He has my family. He has my possessions. He has my wallet. It's his. So Pastor, I want to talk to you after the service this morning because that truck that you're driving out there, God told you to give it to me. <laughs> well, when he tells me, I'll give you the keys. <laughs> Who do we love this morning? I, I think all of us, I think everyone in here this morning would say, if I said, do you love the Lord? Yes. But talk sheep. The proof, as they say, is in the pudding. Who I really love, I don't mind sacrificing for. I don't mind giving to. I don't mind going at, without if somebody has a legitimate need. And when God steps up and says, hey, I want you to do this, step out by faith and do it. Why? Because you love the Lord. But what if, don't worry about the what if, because I'll tell you what will happen. When I give that way, I'm going to turn around and the windows of heaven are going to open. And God's going to pour out a blessing. And it may not be the way I expect, but I promise you it will always be better if I'll just follow what God's given me to do.